Explore Pragmatic Institute's training to help your organization become data-driven. Our courses provide teams with the hands-on practice and skills they need to leverage data for business success. Visit pragmaticinstitute.com slash data today. Welcome to Data Chats, a podcast by Pragmatic Institute and the Data Incubator, where we tackle data topics and trends with experts, industry leaders, instructors, and alumni. I'm your host, Chris Richardson, and today I am sitting down with Susan Walsh, a specialist in data classification, taxonomy, customization, data cleansing, and the founder of the Classification Guru, where they bring clarity and accuracy to data and procurement. Susan is a industry thought leader, TEDx speaker, and author of the book, Between the Spreadsheets, Classifying and Fixing Dirty Data. Thank you, Susan, for coming on the show today. Hello. Thanks for having me. Well, I am uh, thrilled to be talking to you today. I've seen you present uh, a few times in different venues, and I know you have uh, videos floating online. And one of the most interesting things to me is that data cleaning is the most boring topic I can imagine, and the yep. bane of most data scientists' existence. And yet uh -huh. you make it kind of fun and engaging in ways that I couldn't imagine me doing. So maybe you can say a little bit about that. Like, what got you into this? What kind of background are you bringing to this? And um, yeah, how do you manage to make data cleaning interesting and fun? Yeah, it's been a crazy wild ride to get here. Um, in my After graduation, in my 20s, I did a lot of sales roles large organizations. Then I decided that wasn't for me. So opened uh, a shop, a clothes shop for women. And it doesn't even make a year with that uh, without completely uh, crashing and burning and having to save up to go bankrupt because I couldn't afford to pay to go bankrupt. <laughs> and that's kind of how I ended up in, in spend data really um, I found an ad online at the time and it was like, okay, this sounds like something I could do. And I went to go work for a spend analytics company and started classifying their day, spend data for companies, normalizing suppliers. And straight away, I really found that it was, for me, it was easy and I was very accurate and fast. Found it quite interesting. I mean, it's like, it's basically like going through people's own bank statements. You get to see, nosy around and see what everyone's been buying, where. And, and, and yeah, and then that business grew. And so I started to manage a team there, recruit them, train them, manage projects. And then after five years, it was time to move on. And, and I didn't know where I could get a job doing the same thing. So I was like, well, I guess I'm going to have to start my own business again. Um, but I, I knew I was very good specifically at the classification and normalization. I didn't want to do the dashboards. I didn't have any experience in that. So I was very clear on, on what, what I was offering and uh, got some great feedback. A lot of people said, I wish I knew you six months ago. Yeah. I realized pretty quickly that nobody was really looking for my services because nobody else was offering them. And even mm. today, it's pretty much still me out there. And and you're probably right. It's because nobody else wants to do it. You know, it's, <laughs> well, 
I always say it's like the the garb I'm the garbage lady of the data world. It's the job no one wants to do, but if it isn't done, like society would like fall apart if we didn't have our rubbish cleared. Absolutely. And, and cleaning data is exactly the same. And so here I am now doing amazing things like podcasts with you and talking on stage and yeah, lots of extra fun bits that weren't kind of part of the original business plan. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe you could say a little bit more about that. So I think most people listening, uh, they're either doing the data cleaning or they're aware that data cleaning is happening, Mm -hmm. Um, but they may not realize the consequence, especially people like product managers, marketing managers who are asking for stuff the data analysts or data scientists will come back and say, here's, here's the project plan. And a lot of that plan will often include uh, uh, clean, cleansing in some way or maybe multiple ways. What does that look like? And what are some of those consequences as to like why that's such an important element? Yeah, I've got a couple of different examples for you there. The first Perfect. is CRM systems, because every sales yeah. and marketing person in the world uses them. And I often hear our sales force is a mess. Our HubSpot is a mess. Yeah. Our MailChimp is a mess. And no matter how many times you click that deduplicate button, it doesn't always work properly. Because mm-hmm. there are things like near duplicates. Well, I call them that. That's just uh, my term. And things like Rob Smith and Robert Smith and Bob Smith could all be the same person. A deduplicate button's probably not necessarily going to pick up on something like that. Mm-hmm. And if you've got company names in there, imagine if they've been bought over and changed names, but it's still sitting under the old name. I mean, I have seen IBM listed as international business machines <laughs> still to this day. That's, yeah. that's just like uh, someone coming out of uni is not going to know that international business machines is IBM. Mm. <laughs> they just wouldn't. And so things like that end up mean that people end up creating extra records. So you might have um, two or more versions of the same person or company and you've got notes and updates in one and you've got some notes and updates in the other. So you're never really seeing the full picture of what's going on with that particular person or client or customer. So not only is that wasting time, you could have two people trying to contact the same person. That's Mm -hmm. just going to really annoy them and make them ignore you. Yeah. Um, it's wasted money. It could be wasted mailings and things like that. Uh, so that the cost and time effort can be huge. And that's just one thing. Uh, another thing that I did for a marketing department of a, a manufacturer who sells like in retailers all over the world is they buy their marketing data from Nielsen, from Kantar, from Asda, Tesco here in the UK. And each different data source names the brand name slightly differently, Mm. categorizes the product, the same product, but differently in each data set, even though it's the same thing. And so when they try to pull that data together, they don't have a full picture of what's going on in the market. So they don't know how much they're selling here or there. They don't know if they're looking at competitor data. They can't compare it like for like. And so they're not really getting visibility and maximizing their opportunities. And yeah. so that's another way that, that the data could, you know, clean data could really help them. 
Yeah. What have you seen that uh, maybe you can give some examples uh, like the CRM where people are taking data or they're collecting data? And what would it look like for someone with your eyes, your experience to see clean data and dirty data? What are some of the telltale signs? So let's let's go back to Bob Smith. So we've got two Bob Smiths and mm-hmm. one Bob Smith lives at 10 Sunshine Street and one lives at 10 Sunshine ST. Mm-hmm. And maybe one of those Bobs lives in uh, Guilford, where I am now. And maybe the other one does as well. And then maybe... One of the records has the county, which would be, or the state, which over here would be Surrey, and one doesn't. And one has a letter missing from the postcode, and one doesn't. Mm. And one has a number missing from the phone number, and one doesn't. And maybe there's two different email addresses there as well in those two records. And so that's a classic example of the kind of things that we see every day and and are happening in every organization you know you can't stop it but you can minimize it Mm -hmm. and what does it look like to minimize it because as you say that i'm thinking like yeah if i were looking at a list i could easily do that put that together but if i had a million entries and there was a certain percentage that looked like that where would i start i mean give give us a call really but if you can't do that um, the, the the best the best method is is prevention rather than cure. So if you can mm. train your team to input data the correct way at the start, then that is half the battle. And one of the things that I always say is make sure your data has its coat on, like a jacket. And so that means that first of all, your data's got to be consistent. So mm. we're using the same units of measure, the same date formats the same language, um, the same procedures to enter things. Um, if we're using abbreviations, let's have a list so that people can follow the same pattern. Of course, it's got to be organized too. So categorize that data in a way that you need it, whether that's by state, by region, by country, by business unit, by person. Have that there ready to go. And of course, it's got to be accurate, as accurate as you possibly can get it. And in different areas of the business, that will mean different things. Accuracy in sales and marketing might be, we have to fill these data points for a customer. Whereas financially, you have to be 100% accurate. You can't be a little bit wrong. Mm. So once you've got your consistent, your organized, your accurate data, then you've got your trustworthy data. And that's the biggest thing that I hear is we don't trust our data. So by getting that data coat on and keeping it on through maintenance and checking, you're going to minimize the the errors and and the things that are wrong. But obviously that's in an ideal world. Mm -hmm. We still have data that's sitting there that is messy. There are a number of tools out there. And honestly, it really depends on the type of data you have, what your needs are. So, you know, go and research. We tend to clean uh, with a mixture of automation and manual process because sometimes there are some parts that you just can't pick up with with software. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you know, I cleaned a 2.3 million row database down to 1.3 million rows in about a week on my own. So, I, I mean, it's not wow. 
that bad. I mean, I know, obviously, know what I'm doing, but that's why I've written a book, to share all that wonderful knowledge with everybody. <laughs> because at the end of the day, I'd love to put myself out of, out of business, you know. I would love for everyone to be managing and looking after their own data. I, I think we're a long way off that. And yeah. I think one of the other things is when you're talking about inputting data, it's not, most of the time, it's not data professionals that are doing it. It is your sales and marketing people. It's your receptionist. Yeah, it's the CEO. They're people who don't know and understand data and it's hugely intimidating for them. And so that's why I came up with the data code. It's friendly. It's kind of fun. <laughs> you know, that's why I try to, to make posts interesting because I genuinely find it fascinating and interesting what we do and 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 you know just how I guess lazy some people can be when they really can't be bothered to like look at things properly you know the number of ways I've seen travel spelt incorrectly is unbelievable <laughs> you know people's expense reports it's like guys and, and it's because it's because they think, oh, it doesn't matter. No one's ever going to look at it. But guess what? People are looking at it. It well, does matter. A, yeah, and that's a great point. Is uh, well, first of all, travel is interesting because you're you're talking to a Canadian who lives in the United States, and I'm speaking to someone in the UK, <laughs> a Scot that lives in England. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, there are obviously different ways to spell travel, like going traveling, things like that. Oh, but date formats all, is a good one. Which. Date formats. I love yeah, doing webinars formats. because oh, US even, versus everywhere else with measurements. Yeah, you would you would think that it was it was just that, but literally, I have done webinars with people from the same organization, and if you ask them to put how they format their dates in the chat yeah. box, you will still get at least three or four different versions, and that's within the same company. It's yeah. crazy. Actually, I do remember you uh, doing uh, uh, like a webinar where you asked people, I think, to put in their birthdays or something like that and got a bunch of different replies, right? Like, yeah. so you may see May 16, you may see 516, 165, all these kinds of things. Mm -hmm. And then it's dashes, slashes or dots or yeah. no separators at all. There's so many different ways to, to write a date. Now, with dates, though, if you're setting up something to take in information, to take data, you can set it to automatically format, right? If somebody chooses a calendar, and I think we see a lot of that now where you choose your date on the calendar and it will format it the way that it is wanted. So there are some ways that it's relatively easy to automate those things or to make sure that the correct data is being input, assuming that the user chooses a correct date or something. Yeah. You something uh, already? Yeah. Go ahead, I, go ahead. See, I don't know. And it's it's pulled out of some system and it's the same date, but Excel has decided to format some of it differently. Hmm. And so, so there are still problems. You know, sometimes most of it will be formatted to the right and then there's a few that will be formatted to the left and they're not even recognized as a number. And I think sometimes it's those those invisible spaces as well, because Excel mm. loves to count those and it's very annoying. <laughs> yeah, so even that can be difficult. Um, but what I wanted to ask about is when you can have a clear drop down that, let's say you're in the US and you, you want to pick a state, those mm -hmm. aren't going to change anytime soon. So you can list those states for users and they can select one. But when we're asking people, how did you, how did you like the product? Maybe you could do a, a few statements, but I think in reality, a lot of people want 
unique feedback or they want the person to say a little bit that they can't predict ahead of time. I How do you deal with those kinds of things? I've categorized that too. Um, I worked with yeah. a retailer and they were getting a lot of returns and it was costing them a lot of money to collect the product and then ship out. And they sold kind of um, like jujitsu and karate outfits hmm. and it was free text. Mm-hmm. And so I went and looked through the free text, categorized their different reasons. And there tended to be kind of maybe a handful. So it was either too big, too small. It was damaged on arrival, you know, things like that. Yeah. Turns out there was one specific style where the sizing was very large. And that was just a common theme amongst all the returns. So all they needed to do was put a note on their website to say, sizing-wise, this comes up quite large. You might want to order a smaller size. And that would dramatically reduce the number of returns that they had for that product. But again, it's probably the way my brain works too, is being able to just go through that free text and being able to categorize it. But, you know, I've been doing this for over 10 years now, so I can I categorize everything, you know. Mm. I don't even mean to. It just kind of happens. Well, when people are thinking about that, right, if they're thinking we want to get customer feedback, maybe they don't know what the categories are. Do you have advice for that? So I'm thinking like returning something on Amazon today. Definitely. I remember seeing things like, was it broken? Did it return uh, or did it come in? Did something come that didn't you didn't expect or that was the wrong thing? They have these categories. I would assume, though, that they've learned that those are the most common categories. If you're a business who doesn't know what to predict, who doesn't know uh, you know, there could be any number of reasons for whatever comment you're asking for. Do you have advice to get started? Use the free text to start to find okay. the common denominators. I mean, honestly, there's free text can be troublesome, but so can drop down menus because quite often people will choose the first thing, whether it's right or not. They just can't be bothered to select the right thing. So you have to, you know, I've heard of, uh, in procurement, you know, people saying, oh, you know, we've, we we had our highest spend was under miscellaneous. You know, the mm. whole business, the whole entire business is spend. The majority of it was sitting under miscellaneous because people were just like, oh, just throw it under here. Hmm. So, uh, they're, they're, you know, you have to be careful of that as well, that it's not misleading you down a, a different path. Yeah. And then so what are some of those uh, other elements that you would think about either before you're setting up like to prepare to collect data or maybe afterwards what comes to mind as you know uh things that people should really be thinking that they often don't what do you want to know don't collect information that you don't need Hmm. so what's your outcome of this information are you going to develop new products are you going to just try and save some money are you looking at what you're performers are are you looking at why things are being returned look at look at what it is you want to find out and then think about questions that you can ask that are you can get as much information in as as few questions as possible because most people Hmm. do not want to answer a lot of questions yeah that's a good point i wonder if you have any thoughts something i've been uh, thinking about recently is that with all the data, with all the AI, with all the, just people know how important data is or how valuable it can be. So I feel like everyone, every contact I make in any situation is asking me to fill in feedback, which just kind of gets overwhelming. 
And for those who can't see like the, the visuals, I see rolling your eyes because, yeah, yeah, everyone <laughs> would deal with that. Right. So I wonder if you have thoughts on best practices, because I, I think in an ideal world, we would just know everything. If we're in a business that wants to sell to customers, you want to know everything about your customers, but you don't want to annoy your customers. So what have you seen work or not work? So actually, from my point of view, that's a bugbear of mine as well. Um, recently, there's been several uh, clients or potential clients that have asked me to fill in IT security forms all through this one platform. Mm-hmm. Now I've had to do it three separate times. Yeah. This, this platform could be saying to me, okay, this is kind of what our clients generally want to know. Can you fill this basic information in? They could just take that whenever they want it and then anything else extra they could ask me. But what happens is I have to fill out the same information every time. And it literally takes hours to fill out these forms. Yep. So if we are talking about filling out forms for similar things, let's have a repository. You know, here's my basic details that you might need. What else do you want to know? Mm-hmm. And then, and then it remembers it, and so you don't have to answer that the next time because the next company could just go and find that in this one place. It's everyone's trying to do the same thing, but all over in different places, you know, rather than centrally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that makes sense. I also wonder though, how often do you, in the work that you're doing, think about have to come up against things like GDPR uh, and privacy concerns? Like, is that something that data? cleaning and and the things that you're doing fit into or is that usually before or after uh a lot of the work we do is with financial data so it's sensitive information but it's not personal information but we do Mm. work with crms and we do clean personal information and and the way that that we kind of deal with that is it's the client will will drop that in a secure folder only myself and one other person in the business will have access to that whole file. When the team are cleaning, they'll get a portion of the file, but they never get the whole file and they don't get all the data. Hmm. And so, you know, we can use password protection. You know, everyone's got multi-factor authentication. And it's about being aware. You know, we we have weekly meetings and I talk about spam emails all the time because I've had emails from myself and I'm like... <laughs> no that's not me so it, it's about being careful but but actually being a smaller business we're we're actually probably safer because we don't have hundreds of people who are at risk of clicking on a, a link that's going to lead to hmm. ransomware or hacking or or anything like that yeah that's a good point so fewer people at least is is less yeah but uh, but also you know business you know, that's our reputation. It only takes one breach and that's it. We're out of business. So we have to take it seriously. Hmm. You know, that's interesting because you mentioned earlier how so many businesses see themselves or their like CRM or whatever as as dirty, as not necessarily trustworthy. Yeah. I think if anyone gets a cybersecurity breach and has to report on that, they're very worried about the impression that will give to others. And so they're very cautious when it comes to cybersecurity. And yet you look at their internal databases and they're all dirty and, you know, well, um, how, do you, how do you weigh that in, in terms of like, you're an executive who's thinking, okay, I want to make sure we're, we're secure because if people find out we're not secure or we have vulnerabilities, that looks horrible. 
they don't seem to put the same emphasis on the data uh, cleanliness or, you know, that kind of thing. Well, the funny thing is, especially with GDPR, it's not just about protecting your data. It's about having accurate data too. So if you don't Mm. have accurate data on these customers, clients, you're actually in breach for that as well. Interesting. So that should be a kind of motivational thing right there. Learn a proven approach for solving business problems with data in Pragmatic Institute's Business Driven Data Analysis course. Elevate your impact by improving communication with stakeholders and delivering critical insights. Find out more and enroll at pragmaticinstitute.com slash data. Unfortunately, we what we see is these these big companies just take the hit and take the fine. And we're talking millions of dollars or euros or pounds. Um, but actually, I'd also say that it's sometimes the reputational damage can be far more costly than a fine. Because, you know, it, it takes years to build up a reputation. And as we all know, it can be destroyed overnight. And it's very hard to come back from that. So it's about thinking about all the other consequences and and letting your team know about that too. Yeah, I wonder if you could say a little bit more about teams because I think, I mean, people listening to this may be working at a relatively small company or they may be working at something huge with, uh, you know, hundreds of millions or hundreds of thousands of employees, potentially. Um, What do teams look like? Maybe there's different versions of that, but like, where would you fit into a team and what have you seen work better when people are maybe they're hiring you, getting your services, or they have other people in their organizations doing the cleaning, what does that tend to look like? Are they scattered? Is it one group that they, you know, send the information to? What works best in organizations typically, or maybe at different sizes? It's, it's communication is the yeah. biggest thing that is lacking. And this department doesn't talk to that department. You know, I, I, Depending on the client, some like regular meetings, some don't. So we work with whatever works best for them. But, you know, sharing problems, issues and getting res- like a resolution or an answer at a weekly meeting is much easier than waiting till the end of the project and being like, oh, didn't know this. Hmm. And actually you find out if you'd known it at the start, it would have saved you like a week of time. So communication is definitely a big thing. Uh, something that, because that, I manage, I have my own team as well. So again, it's about the data code. So it's making sure that everybody's consistent in what they do. And, and we have a kind of three check process. So the data gets split out between the team. They all do their own bits. It gets pulled back together. Someone reviews that whole data set and checks it. And then corrects anything, any inconsistencies, anything like that. And then I will give it a final check as well. And then it goes out the door. And the reality is we've probably still missed some things, but but we're making it as thorough as possible. And I think that's also something that people kind of do it the first time and let it out the door. And and I'm a big fan of checking, checking and checking again. Mm-hmm. That's and where you can stop so many problems. Yeah. Where, okay. So when you're checking, what kind of things are you checking and how do you check? Cause I can imagine somebody hiring you. They say, here are our categories. Um, they seem self-evident, but I've often heard from people that the definition of, you know, profit can be very different depending on the context. Mm-hmm. So I wonder how you check and how you would encourage others to like, what does it mean to check? 
we we use a tool called Omniscope, and I've developed a methodology for checking in that. But I have kind of reverse engineered that to be able to do that in Excel, mm-hmm. and that's in the book. And it's all about interrogating the data in different ways. So I might look at number of classifications per supplier, first of all. And I might know that every every supplier name that contains the word taxi should be sitting under level one travel. If there's anything that's in facilities or marketing, unless it's just got a random name, it's probably wrong. So I'm going to look for the obvious things first. So hotels, restaurants, taxis, solicitors, lawyers. Because mm-hmm. you can generally tell if that stuff's really wrong, that you've got a bigger problem, a really big problem. Because if the obvious stuff's wrong, the not so obvious stuff's going to be really, really wrong. Mm-hmm. And then I'll do that with descriptions as well. Go through it that way and check. Um, and most, most... Suppliers should have the same level one, not all, you know, your IBMs, your Microsofts might have multiple different levels, but but generally. And and so we'll thoroughly go through it that way to check it. And then what are you finding if like, oh, so obviously the correct categorization, but are there other elements that you're looking for? So we've, we've talked about duplications or near duplicates. Uh, potentially miscategorizations? Are there anything else, uh, other items that you're yeah, looking for? Yeah, so normalization of suppliers is really important. So we'll often see, you know, IBM, IW.M, IBM Inc., IBM Limited, International Business Machines, yeah. PwC, P.W.C, PricewaterhouseCoopers. Hmm. So we normalize those in a new column to one name. And that is not a financial parent-child relationship. That is purely... I want to know how much I spent with IBM last year because you'd be amazed at how many organizations don't even have access to that top level information, especially if they have the data in lots of different systems. Yeah. It's, it's, it's hard for them to actually be able to track that. And the other thing that's really important to say is we never overwrite the existing data. We always mm. put clean data in new columns. Um, firstly, because you want to be able to check back and do sense checks to make sure something's right. And the other is most people don't know what a dirty um, spreadsheet looks like. And Mm. so if you keep the old and then the new in, they can visually see the benefit of what you've done. Because it can be hard to justify the costs of cleaning data. So it's a big challenge. Well, exactly. And that's what I wanted to ask you about next is, uh, so obviously... If you're contacting the same person because he or she has typed in something that's really similar but not the same, and so you know you have three salespeople contacting, that's bad. That can lead to uh, missed opportunities or mm-hmm. or something like that. How else do you justify uh, costs, like the return on investment of cleaning data? It can be hard because everyone has heard cost savings and time savings so many times. They're kind mm-hmm. of immune to it. It doesn't have that impact anymore. And so I've tried to flip it around and say now, having clean data drives profitability. It improves your bottom line. And it does that because say you are working with clients who are on projects, you might be charging X amount and it might be taking your team this amount of time. 
But if you could suddenly improve the amount of time that teams take in to work on the project, so even reduce it by like 60% or 40%, suddenly you're that's more profitable for your organization because you're still charging the client the same, but you're internally being more efficient. Now, surely that's something that that should hope, I would hope would <laughs> grab the attention of lots of people within the organization. Um, and then also uh, working smarter. We did some work for an events company. They had data going back to 2005 in multiple different systems. We had to pull it all together so that they could look at like one client in one line and look at, they, they had no idea mm-hmm. like who their best clients were, who their returning client customers were, um, what events they'd been to, what if they went to the same events regularly. They had no idea who they should be targeting and developing. And so they're probably wasting a whole load of time on people that were never going to buy any more tickets. Now, mm-hmm. They know exactly who their best customers are and who they need to focus on selling more to because they're already engaged. They're already loyal. They're already buying. Yeah. I wonder, have you been working at all with uh, like AI? I know so many people have been talking about the transformation that AI is doing. And yet I still hear from a lot of people that they're dealing with dirty data and that AI hasn't solved that problem, which you would think maybe it should. I wonder if you have any thoughts on that and how closely you've been following the, the kind of developments. Oh, lots and lots. Uh, <laughs> we're not going to be out of a job anytime soon. Uh, and the main reason is that you need clean training data sets for AI. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have a person, an actual human being doing that, you'll never get accurate data because you'll have nobody to verify it. You won't know. And even with the new Gen AI, ChatGPT, it's taking data that people are putting in and learning from it. Well, guess what? What if someone wants to sabotage the data pool with some dirty data on purpose because they know their competitor is using it hmm. and they want to just muddy the waters a little bit? It's, you know, you if you don't know where that source of data has come from and you can't verify it, then then you're always going to need people like us to to come in and and check it, change it, clean it, or or if you're smart, do it before you even start the tech process. Get it done early. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we you know I was working at a spend analytics company six years, seven years ago when they were experimenting with AI, and I mean obviously things have moved a lot along a lot since then, but it doesn't work for a lot of spend data. It works for supplier normalization, and we've had some good results with that. But supplier classification is so subjective, contextual. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it it's hard right now for AI to be able to to do that effectively. Do you have places that you go to for either data ideas, models? Uh, presentations because one of one of the things I'm thinking about is you're working with financial information from a company you've done this excellent job cleaning it figuring out how to make it more uh, productive for for the company you can't share that with others you know for confidentiality potentially you can't necessarily uh, take it and use it in a new project what do you do or where do you get things that you would like maybe be able to point people to we kind of we learn by <laughs> failing and trying things and with what we do. Um, 
also, I mean, I'm, I'm at the stage where finding any spare time in the day is just too hard, but I have a, a fantastic data analyst who now does have the time to go and research how we can improve our own data models, see what else is out there and just experiment with things. And that's that's how we do it. But finding, I mean, if, if people are looking for dirty data sets or data sets to work on, there there's like, I think there's Google data sets. There's also the gov.uk website. All the mm-hmm. public sector data sets are available to have a look at. Um, one of the things that I find frustrating is that there aren't many dirty data sets available. So when I created my course, I built a dirty data set with dirty names, addresses, and emails so that when people do the course, they're doing it along with me. Mm. And they're actually kind of working on their own spread, dirty spreadsheet too. So they're fine. They're getting to, to deal with real life dirty data and hopefully... They'll go on to use a tool that will fix that, but they'll understand by doing that what dirty data actually looks like. Because sometimes yeah. we, we're using software, but we don't actually know if it's working or not because we've never seen what it should look like or what it's supposed to look like. Yeah, I think that's one of the most interesting things about the idea of training in this field is because we often, you know, if you're seeing textbook examples, they're either perfect or there's a clear problem that then you they show you the next step how to address. And yeah. so I'm sure that you, your experience has given you a bunch more things to look for than, than people who, it's very hard to train, I would imagine. Oh yeah, I've probably given them a, a worse data set than you genuinely see because I've taken the worst of kind of everything. <laughs> but I've got like a UK version and a US version as well so people can try both because that is the best way to learn and also mm-hmm. the best way to understand what data shouldn't look like. Yeah, which is amazing because I think in any organization you join, if you've been trained, you automatically see that there's a huge difference from the training that you've done, the books that you've Mm -hmm. read, to the actual business that you're in. I've never heard of somebody entering an organization and being like, yeah, that looks like the textbook I was trained on, you know? Yeah, no, most of them are like, I don't know what to do with this. (laughs) Yeah, well, let's maybe jump into that for a second. So if you have been trained, maybe you even have like a PhD in computer science, you get to an organization and you're just seeing all this mess. In an ideal world, of course, you would be able to you know, fix it up or maybe you have unlimited budget and you can just hire someone like you to fix it. But for an overwhelmed person who's been trained, who's super smart, but just has this overwhelming amount of data, doesn't know where to begin in terms of the cleaning process. They've, uh, you know, they know the basics of what it should look like. What do you recommend they start to think about? Or how do they? How do you start to approach it? If you have a million entries, you don't know where to begin. First of all, you might not need to clean all the data up. So you might only need four of the twenty columns that are in that mm-hmm. data set. So obviously, the ideal scenario would be to tidy it all. But mm-hmm. start point. with the ones that you need, and then start to think about: Do you actually need to clean the whole data set, or or could you do it by country, by town, by state? and do one little bit at a time and see how that goes. Because you can, if you do one in a small manageable chunk, you'll practice on that. And then the rest one will seem more manageable because you've got, then got a bit of experience. Hmm. Think about what it is that you need from the data set that you need to clean again. So 
there could be different ways to clean it. But I mean, things like formatting, do you want uppercase, lowercase, sentence case, you know, standardize those things. Because one of the things that is really what I find quite interesting is when I'm normalizing suppliers, I need it in all uppercase. But if I'm looking at addresses, I need it in sentence case. And for me, it's easier to spot the the inconsistencies those two ways, but for different types of data. Um, and find find what works for you. Experiment a little bit. Factor in that cleaning time to every project you do. Like build that in. Add a couple of days on. If you and and again, just try and find ways to do it in manageable chunks. Otherwise, it will feel quite overwhelming. If you're doing it in Excel, Excel is terrible with large volumes of data. It's getting better, but you know, mm. I still manage to crash it every other week. <laughs> so which is why I don't use it too often. Um, so yeah, it's working smarter. You know, maybe you're only getting asked to do something for sales and marketing, not the whole business. So maybe we just pull the sales and marketing data and I'll work on that first. And then see, and then once you've done that, you might be able to build some master mapping lists that you might be able to apply to other areas of the business. And then you've saved yourself some time. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I mean, time saving is one of those major things because we don't want to get sucked into doing most of this when you want to do some cool analysis that you're waiting to do, but you need the clean data for. I wonder yeah, if you, yeah, how I, do you, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, you have to accept that it's going to have to be done whether it's yeah. by you or someone else, like it has to be done. You can't avoid it. It's, and you it's keep, someone's job. Yeah. Well, it's somebody's job, but like you said, a lot of people are not approaching it as, as that's the key to their job. And yet you've been able to go for it. You make it interesting. How have you done that? Or what might you encourage others to do if they're saying like, oh, this is a project. It's going to take me a week just to clean. Uh, you know, I don't have the, the same personality as Susan to approach this in in that way, what should I like? How do you motivate people, or what would you say? I bet, I bet you've got someone in your team that is like a Susan, who's about OCD, <laughs> loves to just like create order out of chaos, and mm-hmm. and I bet there's someone who would love to do it. And, and maybe we need to get out of these boxes of this is a data scientist, this is a data analyst, this is a uh, team assistant. Maybe your team assistant is the best person to clean the data. Let's make the roles a bit more fluid and and share the work and 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 if you because if you enjoy it it doesn't feel like work it's half the battle Mm. so find someone that does yeah there is something very rewarding to seeing a clean data set isn't there just (laughs) there is (laughs) yeah and i so i guess is there anything else people should be thinking about i know everyone kind of understands that Cleaning is one of the first elements. Once you have a once you have a question or an objective, once you have a data source or multiple, typically cleaning is the next step. Is there anything people should be including more when they're uh, you know setting out a project? You've already said like you have to tell people it's going to take a little time. You have to s- dedicate that time to cleaning. Um, but are there any other considerations or things that people should think about in their you know data process overall? Yes, like <laughs> factor in some budget for it. It mm. always gets left out. And, you know, people getting the actual data can be a real problem. One client, for us, it took 18 months for them to get what we needed. You know, 
people assume they can just go to someone and get it. That's not always the case. Mm. Um, so factor in, you know, that there's going to be some bumps and hurdles and and try and sell the value of cleaning data internally, you know, get everybody on board with it. Yeah. I wonder if you have any advice then. I like to ask people, um, you know, as we've talked about a, do- a number of different things, I would assume that anyone listening to this, whether they're uh, on the side that's asking for data scientists to do something or analyze something, or whether they are the actual cleaners themselves or data mm-hmm. analysts themselves, um, they, they all agree clean data is important. They want to dedicate more time to it or they want to, they want to dedicate more, um, more, yeah, more thought to it. Maybe not more time. They want to save yeah. time. Maybe they're willing to spend more time, spend more budget. But what are, so, what are some things that they could do today or tomorrow maybe, but in the, in the short term to help them achieve where they want to be in terms of having a super clean data set that they can use and maintain? First thing is grab an Excel file, get a pivot table going. Depending on the type of data you're working with, look at it by supplier and the categorization or supplier and GL codes if you're in finance. Mm-hmm. If you are uh, materials management, look at, say, SKU numbers and product descriptions because and do a pivot because you'll get an aggregated view. And then you'll start to see, oh, wow, we've got two descriptions against this one SKU code. That's not right. Mm. Or or you could do the reverse and do it by description and then find that you've got two different SKU codes against one description. Also happens a lot. Do that with your data and just do a quick spot check. And then take that to your manager, the budget holders, and say, look at the problem we've got here. This uh, could be costing us X amount. Uh, we could be saving X amount. We could be driving profit, we need to do something about this. Because the more you talk about it and show them, actually physically show them something that's tangible, mm-hmm. like we're talking about, you know, the before and after, that is so powerful when you're trying to get some money or some help from people because they can see the problem. Telling them, honestly, it doesn't mean much to them. They're like, just go and fix a spreadsheet. They don't really understand. Yeah. By showing, it's much easier to kind of win them over. And then the second thing is get everybody putting their data coat on. So making sure it's consistent, organized, accurate, trustworthy. And that is across not just departments, but the whole organization, because it's everybody's responsibility to look after clean data. And it's not good enough to just put that coat on. You have to keep it on all year round. So maintain that data as well. And, and it will make your life so much easier. And it also means, imagine if everyone is working consistently and someone goes off sick and then the process just keeps smoothly going on because everyone's doing the same thing the same way. Mm. Someone else can take over their role and it'll be fine. Imagine all those wonderful little benefits, side benefits that would come from it. Yeah. No, that's, I mean, that's... In a perfect world, world. that's my fantasy, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. No, I, I can. Yeah, it's, it's funny. I'm just imagining some people have different fantasies. Yours is just a, a clean <laughs> data world. But I think an organized I world. anyone who's worked with data, I think, would share that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's a lot of that's great, valuable tips for everyone, especially for those of us who, you know, we all agree. I don't think there's anyone who is in favor of dirty data. It's more of a question of how do we prioritize? How do we actually achieve it? And that's already some great uh, tips that you've given. 
if people want to follow you, think more about what you've been saying, or maybe even contact you, what do you recommend, Susan? Uh, LinkedIn is my favorite hangout. So Susan Walsh, the classification guru. Uh, There's the website, theclassificationguru.com, and then you can get all the other links for various YouTube and et cetera for there. But I think it's also important for us all to acknowledge that there is no such thing as a perfect data set, Hmm. but it's about minimizing the errors. Yeah which can lead to some huge results if we're all on the same page on that. Yeah. And who knows, it may be even a bonus for you if you manage to improve your team's performance. Yeah, yeah. It's, and not only improve, but show it, as you said. I think yeah. that's a key That's a key factor there, being able to demonstrate. Well, Susan, thank you so much for joining uh, Data Chats. I think you've given lots of people uh, motivation, ideas, and something that they can start on if they haven't been doing it like immediately to see some in some significant results. Yeah, it doesn't have to be with fancy tech. You can literally do it with a spreadsheet. It's it's all about just making it to start with as easy as possible. Well, thank you so much, Susan. Thank you.